guys. You're listening to Mama Knows Podcast with your host, Nina Cavajola, aka Balconina. Join in weekly as she walks alongside you to navigate topics around motherhood, mental health, self-love, and relationships. The good, bad, and funny. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about mm, mm, mm. Hello. Okay, I want to say I'm really sorry about my nasally voice. I'm getting over this sinus infection. It's really annoying. I'm going on like two weeks. We're just going to have to go with it. You're going to have to be okay with how I sound. Today, we are talking about relationships and communication And did you know that the divorce rates peak around four years of marriage and not seven? I always thought it was like the seven-year itch. Where does that even come from? Also, did you know that couples typically seek therapy six years too late after a problem arises? Well, that sucks. I'm all for therapy. Most of you know this. I'm in therapy myself, and it has truly helped me see myself and others in a different light. Tom and I actually have talked about going to counseling together, not because we are in trouble, but because we want to do better together. I've always had my own personal issues with communication. I'm the first to admit that. And I think that the better you can communicate with the people around you, the better your relationships can be. I think you will love today's episode with the one and only Mac from Talk to Mac on social and the owner of Therapy is for Everyone Counseling. Mac is a black male therapist specializing in couples therapy, and his work with couples is rooted in scientific concepts that have been tested and proven to be effective. He is the creator of Love Unlocked, which is a clinical card deck game designed to assist couples in improving all aspects of their relationships. And it's especially for those who just aren't in the season of life to invest in therapy. If you listen to the end, I may or may not have a discount code. Most importantly, Mac is a husband and a father of two little girls. And he uses his voice to change the stigma around failing marriages and relationships. Hey, Mac. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited. Yay. Will you please tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how the heck did you make it here on my podcast? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Um, So my name is Mac. I am a licensed mental health counselor with a specialization in couples therapy. I'm actually a level three government trained and currently on the certification track. I'm hoping to get that done in the next few months. Um, I'm the owner of Therapy is for Everyone, which is a private practice that is based out of New York, where we specifically work with couples to provide research evidence-based approach to couples therapy. That's awesome. I'm so glad I stumbled upon your page. I found you when I was searching for a couples therapist and I specifically was looking for someone who was like, had that energy about them and that really was going to get down deep and dirty about all the hard things. And, you know, it's, 
I hear from people all the time. It's so hard to find a therapist that you feel like you can get, you know, get along with, or just feel like you click with. Um, so I'm super excited to hear all the things you have to say. And today I want to talk about relationships. Yes. Um, as a couples therapist, what are your top three reasons people come to you? I would say um, since the pandemic, the number one reason has been a fair recovery. So I actually hold a specialization in affair recovery as well. And since I've publicized that to some degree, that has become my number one draw for referrals. I would say the other two would be um, lack of intimacy, especially with no parents. You know, when you have a kid, kiddo, one or two in the home, there's really... You, it's really hard to find time to kind of ded, ded, dedicate to the health of the relationship and therefore um, intimacy tends to suffer. And I would say third, third, it's mainly just communication issues. Like we do not know how to communicate. We know how to weaponize our communication and our trauma, but we don't know how to communicate with compassion and healing. So I would say, yeah, these are the top three. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes 100% sense to me. All three, I feel well, the fa- a fair one that like, I can't believe that's number one. That's super sad. And I know you talk about a fair recovery and trauma quite a bit. Do mm-hmm. you find that you are successful in keeping relationships alive after affairs? Well, it's, 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 there's, there's not a clear cut answer, but I would say if the couple is committed to the process and to the work and are willing to do the needed work and are just not just showing up just to show up, then we can definitely reconfigure and restructure a healthier relationship, not the previous one, but a much more improved one. But if you're not really ready to go through the process and to be honest, right? Because in a fair recovery, one of the biggest factors is the ability to be honest about why you cheated, why you stepped out and what was missing in the relationship and that accountability and answering all of the questions that your partner may have. If you're not willing to do that step, then we we will never reach a phase in in which we can reconstruct and reheal that relationship. Yeah, it all seems so heavy to me. We all know that there are different seasons of life. We have no choice. We have to live these seasons, right? What are some seasons in a relationship that you feel, you know, you see happen? And then what's normal? What's not? What's healthy? Great question. (laughs) Um, In terms of season, three things come to mind, right? There's the I'm in love with you season. And that's when you first start dating. That's the honeymoon phase, right? That lasts about three to four years because your brain is playing tricks on you. Your oxytocin, all of your hormones are being released. You have blinders on, so you don't really see your partner for who they really are, right? You see their social self, but you don't see their shadow self. You see them when they're already ready. Like, they can't do no wrong. They're just amazing. I can't see life without them. We're soulmates. It's a beautiful season. It's a beautiful experience. Then we go to a season that most of us really don't talk about. And that's falling out of love stage. That's when all of these hormones, all of the blinders that you have, have been removed. That's where the 
the protection that was being provided is not becoming aggression. That's where me wanting to always spend time with you is, is being seen as control. That's where, oh my God, they're meeting all of my needs. Now it's being seen as love bombing, right? So mm-hmm. that's where you you get a reality check of who your partner truly is and whether, whether or not you guys have the foundation to actually make it in a relationship. That also tends to be the sweet spot of most divorces or most breakups. Really? Yeah. So like, is this a myth that it's seven years, like the seventh year of marriage is the hardest? Because you're saying like three to four. I would say three to four is the easiest, depending on how long you have been dating. Right. Sure. Sure. So, so, so there's, there's a lot of different hypotheses, but me, I tend to focus more on the research, right? I don't want to hear your perspective. Show me the data. What is the evidence? So the fallout of love stage, that's where, again, you are seeing your partner for who they are. You are seeing their shadow self. How do they behave when they had a hard day? What happens when they're told no? Exactly what role do they envision them playing in your life? And what roles do they, they, they envision you playing in the relationship? Then you go into the most important stage. And if you get to that stage, then you have what it takes to actually build a masterful relationship and remain together forever. And that's the I love you stage. People tend to confuse that I'm in love with you and the I love you. Right. I'm Mm -hmm. no longer in love with my partner. I get that a lot. Like, yeah, that's normal. You're supposed to feel like that because the I love you stage means I know who you are. I've seen everything that there needs to be seen about you, seen the highs, the lows. I've seen the good, the bad. But I'm choosing to be here with you because I love you. Mm -hmm. Right. Also, within the second stage, we've built the necessary skills in terms of learning how to communicate, how to address conflict how to reconnect after conflict, how to enhance intimacy, friendship, passion, romance. So now that we're in the I love you stage and our brain is no longer releasing these hormones and our touch does not feel the same way, we still have the fundamentals needed to last. Yeah. Wow, that's deep. I mean, I agree with you that like, I love you, I'm in love with you stage. My husband and I have been together uh, going on 11 years, married almost six. Mm-hmm. So, but we went through all of that, right? Okay. Like the first few years are just so happy and exciting and da da da. And like, even now at going towards six years married, we are figuring out all these different things about ourselves. And especially now that I'm in therapy, that has like completely changed the game, but we're both like figuring things out about our own inner child and past traumas that are affecting the way we communicate and like there are harder days and there are better days but not everyone does this work not everyone does this self-work so then that I could see how that leads to like resentment and divorce yes so contempt which is of a form of resentment over time is the highest predictor of divorce with a 97 percent accuracy But as you were talking, what I heard, what my therapist brain heard is that within your relationship, there's a lot of curiosity. Like, who are you? Who are you becoming? Who are you today? How are you different from yesterday? Like what interests you? What's changing for you? A lot of times the person that we choose on day one is now who they are five years from now. So it is our responsibility to continuously update our knowledge of our partner. Yeah. 
a lot of time I also hear, well, we don't like the same things. Yeah, that's normal. That's that's exactly what it's supposed to be. If you wanted someone that looked like you, think like you, and view the world the way the same way that you did, should have just married yourself. The key to an everlasting relationship does not have to do with how many things we have in common, but how do we spend the time that we have together? For example, right? I can't swim. I'm scared of the water. My wife, listen, man, this woman has no fear. <laughs> Jumps in, do whatever she want to do and all of that. I applaud that. So when she say, hey, let's go parasailing, <laughs> I could say no. But I choose to say yes, because I understand that's important to her. And that's a time that will be spent in a positive manner. I'd rather go parasailing than jet skiing, because even though I'm in the air, I feel more secure than being on a jet ski, because if it flips over, I'm in the ocean all by myself. So therefore, we choose things that can accommodate to each other's needs, but in a safe manner that's conducive to both parties. She could easily say, well, because you're afraid of the water or you are not a strong swimmer, we can be together because that's something that we don't have in common. But in reality, that don't really matter. Yeah. So as I hear you talk about you and your wife and how you're willing to do something that she loves, even though it's not, you don't love it. I hear a lot of people say, I feel like I'm doing everything. I'm doing everything in this relationship. And it's typically the wife, like they take on this motherly role, they do everything and then they resent their partner for not doing enough. Um, I have my opinions on it, but I would love to hear, <laughs> love to hear your take on this and how in your practice, do you often see women feeling like they're doing everything? And then what does the man feel about that? Because I'm sure there are feelings that they have too. I'd love to hear your take on that. So I actually um, hear that a lot as well. And, and again, it's all based on miscommunication between both partners, right? I feel like I'm doing everything, but does, are the things that you're doing, do they matter to your partner? Is that their love language? Is that filling up their cups? Is that how they want you to show up for them, right? And usually the, the way one partner feels is exactly how the other partner feels as well. So the man will always say, but I feel like I'm doing everything. So if y'all both doing everything, why is it not working? It's because you guys are not doing what's important to each other. So one way to remedy that is what Gottman referred to as the state of the relationship um, union meeting. That's where once a week you sit down with your partner and you details, hey, here are five things that you can do to make me feel loved this week. My wife and myself have been practicing that since the onset of our relationship. Every Sunday at 5 p.m., she brings her notebook. I bring mine. We got our pens. Hey, here are the five things I asked for last week. Here are how I think you scored and how you did. And here are what I'm looking for for this upcoming week and vice versa. This way, the everything is being replaced by five things that are actually conducive, needed, and that my partner is actually looking for. Oh, my God. You just like blew my mind. I love yeah. that idea. Yeah. Relationships are easy. People just make it difficult. They make it difficult. Yeah. Yes. We just have to learn how to simplify things. Right. Yeah. So a, a lot of couples therapy is all about how can we simplify the the issues that are presenting themselves how can we remedy them how can we practice those skills 
and how can we master those skill sets so when it's time in the relationship and the tension are high we are able to go through those skills to ensure that we have a productive conversation mm-hmm. I feel like, like I said, I'm not an expert, but in my experience, personal experience, I feel like it's a lot easier to freak out in the moment when you're in a situation where you're disagreeing with your partner or like that your partner does something and you don't agree with it. It's a lot easier to want to talk about that right then and there, but really it's so much better to talk about your goals. Like you said, every Sunday, have a little chat, talk about what's important to you. And I think that's what, that's like that piece that a lot of people are missing because my husband, he's, um, he's an Enneagram one. Do you know a lot about Enneagrams? A little bit. Yeah. And I'm an Enneagram two and he's like a type A and I'm a type B. So his personality is very like, everything's got to be in order. Perfect. Planned out. And I'm the opposite. I'm like, Oh, whatever. We'll do what, whatever feels good. And that stresses him out. So I know it's important to him. And I think he's working on figuring out what's important to me, but I think me communicating it to him is really important. So we've yes. been working on that for sure. Speaking of communication. Dude, I ask you a question real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick, quick quiz, quick quiz. Uh, what percentage of differences do you think needs to be solved in a relationship in order for it to be a healthy, long lasting relationship? Uh, ten. You only need to solve 10% out of 100%. Okay, maybe let's say 30, 30%. You're actually right. You can only solve 31% of your differences. The 69% is never meant to be solved. It's meant to be managed. And so basically with your husband being type A and you not being that, you will guys will never solve that, right? Yeah, no. You guys <laughs> just need to learn how to manage that how to create a conversation around it, how to plan ahead and how to recognize what's needed at that time period. A lot of times unhealthy relationships are built because people are trying to solve what's not meant to be solved. So picture you and your husband arguing about your different style of upkeeping the household. This could go on for years and nothing will be solved. That's because it's not meant to be solved. So part part of the therapeutic process is helping couples identify what needs to be solved and what needs to be managed. Solving what needs to be solved and learning how to communicate effectively so we can manage what needs to be managed. I love that. I think I need therapy with my husband. (laughs) (laughs) And like, seriously, though, we've talked about how We do really well, but I think we could do so much better, you know, basic formula for effective communication. I know we've kind of touched on a few things, but what it, what is your top basic formula? Very simple. And you've actually done it three times so far. So 96% of the time, the way you start a conversation is exactly how it's going to end. So if you start out by attacking your partner, which is blaming their character, you are this, you are that, you are selfish, you only care about yourself, you're attacking your partner. So it's human nature that they're going to defend themselves and then attack you back, right? So that's that that's what Gottman refers to as, as, as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So when I'm seeing a couple, I have them argue for, for 10 minutes, actually, and I'm paying attention to the first 30 seconds. I want to see how you start the conversation. 
Um, does defensiveness become an issue? Is there contempt? And is there also stonewalling, which is the silent treatment? If those four things are present within that time period, that tells me that your relationship needs a lot of assistance as quickly as possible, because more than likely you're headed toward divorce. So how do you start a conversation is the number one thing that you need to prioritize. And you've done that often here. It's I feel, but my only suggestion to you is let's replace like the term like with an actual emotion. I feel blank about one, two, three. I would like these changes to be made about one, two, three. For example, um, babe, if I'm speaking to my wife, I have been feeling neglected in the past two days because we have not spent enough time together. I miss hanging out with you. I miss the friendship. I miss watching Euphoria with you. So tonight, could we put the kids to bed early so we can spend two hours watching TV and talking to each other? That would make me feel very happy. So you could go with that, right? But most couples would not. Because we don't have the appropriate communication skills. So it may sound something like you don't care about me. You haven't been paying no attention to me. You just hear on your phone all day. Like, why? Why do you even who are you talking to? Who are you spending your time with? Right. So that's weaponizing our wounds, our needs, as opposed to the first one, which is leading with compassion and the process of healing. Yeah. And I mean, I'm guilty of that for sure. I've definitely said those things in my past. I'm curious. Okay. So you have somebody in the marriage, one of the two people who's like doing this. I feel neglected, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But then the other person never says anything they feel, never speaks their mind, just like wants things to be okay. So they're just, okay, okay, okay. I know you can't make somebody, I've talked to many people, you cannot make somebody want to be better. You cannot make somebody want to change. What if you are trying so hard? The other person's not, you want to go to therapy. The other person won't. What do you do? What do you recommend? So usually what I have found throughout my years of therapy is that if you're communicating properly, then you're creating a safe space in which your partner can also communicate what they're actually feeling. A lot of times our partners choose not to communicate because they are not feeling heard. They're not feeling validated and they feel that whatever information that they do share is then weaponized against them. Right. It is not a safe space to talk to you whenever I say something to you you go back and attack me or you use it against me. So why will I continue to tell you how I feel, right? And that actually happens at a slow rate over time when our partner realized that this is not a safe person to talk to or because we just don't know how to communicate. So I'm not trying to fight no more. I notice that every time I state how I feel or I attempt to, it leads to a fight. So I'd rather keep the peace, which is one of the predictors of affairs as well. Right. It's this idea that I'm just going to push this under the rug and not tell you how I feel because I'm trying to protect the peace in the relationship. And in regards to going to couples therapy, you don't need two people to go to couples therapy. If one of the partners actually go and learn how to communicate and learn to understand the relationship better, their application of what they have learned will change the landscape of the relationship which will force their partner to respond differently to the different things that they are doing currently. Wow, that that's 
Yeah, that's so powerful. I never heard anybody say you don't need two people to go to therapy. Like one of, I asked my Instagram audience, what's something that's affecting your relationship? And somebody said, well, my husband won't go to therapy. He won't do this. What do you do when you're, you're already like so deep in awful communication? How do you change it? You've been married so many years and you're, you're a jerk to your husband. He's a jerk to you. Like, how do you change that? <laughs> um, I would say um, on average, couples wait six years too late before going to couples therapy. And after that time, when they enter couples therapy, it's mainly as the last ditch effort. They've already contacted a lawyer. They already know where they're going to live. They've already looked at apartments. They already know how much the divorce is going to cost. Shit, so we're going on six years. I better make an appointment. (laughs) (laughs) On average, just just on average. I would say it's very important to engage in premarital therapy. That's very important. The same way that we go to a dentist or to a doctor yearly to get a checkup. I do recommend that each individual and every couple also do the same thing for their relationship and their mental health. Let's get a a report on how the relationship is doing. Let's get on report on how I'm doing mentally. So this way we know exactly where we stand and what we are dealing with. Also, if you're if you or your partner is not interested in couples therapy at that time period, there are a number of workshops designed by therapists online or in person that you can go to and receive some type of assistance, right? On average in the U.S., over 100,000 divorces are happening a year without no therapeutic intervention. That needs to change. That needs to change. Like now, please make an appointment, go talk to a therapist or go to a couple's workshop and see what skills can you garner from that. Yeah. So a lot of my audience has kids. A lot of a lot of them are families and mothers and kids change the dynamic of many relationships. Ooh, preach. And you, you have two kids, right? Two I have under two. Highly yes. do not recommend. No, I have <laughs> I have a three and a half year old and a one year old, and I don't recommend that oh either. So my I don't know. <laughs> God. Tell us about how a relationship can continue to thrive in this season of life with little kids. Where do I start? (laughs) You're trying to figure it out, huh? (laughs) Man, me and my wife's foundation has always been strong. Like we've continuously, we've continuously improved, infused therapeutic practices in our relationship to ensure that's always strong. Like we can, like we haven't had a conflict in over five to seven, seven years. We have disagreements, but it never turns into a conflict because we know how to communicate effectively. However, since my two little princesses that I can't see life without have been on this earth, oh, it has been a test, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my God, they have tested every aspect of our relationship. Not, not, not because we don't have the tools. Is that when you're overly tired and overworked and haven't slept and don't have the freedom that you used to have, it takes a while to get accustomed to that. On average, couples with children only spend 10% of their time together. Wow. 10%. We went from spending all day together, talking all day, to now only having 10% of our time without children. So what we have started doing is how can we maximize that 10%? And also having the conversation daily, like what are five things that I can help you to feel love? And every night before we go to bed, 
we list five things that we appreciate about each other within the last 24 hours. Thank you for changing the diapers while I was doing my session. Thank you for making dinner. I appreciate that. Thank you for waking me up for the gym. That was very appreciative and selfless of you. Right. So it's going back to the core skills and that foundation so we can rebuild it to ensure that when the moments are high and we're we haven't slept in over eight hours, we haven't showered in three days, we're not just attacking each other. Yeah. I have a whole entire podcast episode coming on how to get your partner on board with your parenting style. I'm curious mm-hmm. your thoughts on this because everyone has different personalities. So we, everyone parents a little bit differently and you know, there's this really cool trend right now where gentle parenting is the thing, (laughs) authoritative parenting. And I love gentle parenting. Like I practice that and I fail at it every day. And my husband (laughs) just happens to be perfectly on board with it. But a lot of women come to me and say, I don't know how to get my partner on board with my parenting style. Like how my advice is always like, you got to meet in the middle. Like you can't expect this person to completely flip a switch and be who you want them to be. I'm curious on your, what you feel about that with your wife and you, like how do you pull to be in the same parenting style? So what we did is again, back to the research. I'm always about what, knowledge is out there that I need to acquire to be the best father and to be the best parents that we can be. So we read a number of books, which allowed us to make sense of the information and then decide exactly how we're going to to move forward. Since we are different people, there's no way that I can do exactly what she wants me to do or vice versa. So we've agreed on what's not acceptable, right? Which is no hitting, no yelling to the top of our lungs, no display of aggression, no arguing in front of the kids. Um, And we talked about reframing, um, how to handle um, tantrums. Now that she's two, there's a lot of tantrums going through the place. I've I've also, I've done intensive training in child-parent psychotherapy, which, which deals with addressing trauma that children have witnessed or experienced from their caregivers. So I've, I've had knowledge of that. So what we've done is basically agreed on what we're not going to do, but also create this boundary where when I'm parenting, I am free to do so as I see fit. Because a situation may happen, but I see it differently than the way that she does. So therefore, if I'm handling it, you're going to give me the grace and the space to do so, as opposed to you jumping in and saying that I'm doing it the wrong way. I love that. I love that. I've, I'm guilty of jumping in, but I also have learned, you know, don't do that. It's, you know, energies are high. Emotions are high. It's just not good. And I fuck all the time. Like I yell at my kids and Tom, my husband, whole yell. He's not really a yeller, but like we both do things that we, neither of us likes. And okay. So let's say you, you and your wife, you did the work. You're like the perfect husband because you have this therapy background. But what if you have a husband who doesn't give a crap? He wants to hit his kid. He wants to put him in timeout. How do you get that husband or partner on board with you? Where, how do you start? So um, there's, there's an intervention called the Gottman Rappaport. And that's focused on being the speaker and the listener. And the purpose of it is to create understanding. Right. So a lot of times 
we tend to parent the way that we were parented or the opposite of how we were parented. So if this individual believes in physical punishment, I think it's only fair that you have a conversation and try to understand where does that come from? And the last step of that is how is that tied to your childhood? Because a lot of times, well, if we're being honest, the person that we are today and how we show up in, in relationships or in parenting is based on how we grew up ourselves and whether or not we've done the work. So if, if we can identify where ex exactly did the mindset of physical punishment came from and what the belief is behind it, that's then you can try to understand it and possibly offer different perspective they make that may counter their need or that desire or that belief that physical punishment is the answer. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that. Let's talk a little bit about, I feel like we've talked about affairs quite a bit. That was going to be one of my questions, but I want to talk about addictions mm -hmm. that destroy relationships. Commonly in my community, a lot of people talk about porn, but there's also alcohol and drugs. I want to hear your take on that and how someone can cope with something that's an addiction in their mm -hmm. relationship that's destroying them. Yeah. Um, before I answer that, I do have a quick question for you. So I joined the What to Expect app when my wife was pregnant. Yeah. And one, of, one of my guilty pleasures is going to the relationship segment and just reading all of the complaints that the wives have about their husbands. And one of the primary one is this idea that porn is cheating. As a woman, do you guys see porn as cheating? I'm just curious because to me, I'm like, Okay. I think everyone feels differently. I've pulled, right. this has been a heavily talked about topic. I've even had a sex therapist on my channel and it's split. Some, a lot of people feel like it is a lot of people feel like it's not. I feel like it, it is what you feel makes you insecure, secure. If you're insecure, like me personally, I am not a fan of porn. Like to mm -hmm. me, that makes me feel insecure. I also know why I know where that stems from my childhood. Mm -hmm. Like I know all these reasons behind it. So me personally, I would not be okay with porn. Um, and it's something I feel like that I would want to discuss with my partner before we even like got married, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, so, but a lot of people, a lot of women don't feel like it's a big deal at all. Like they watch porn and it's part of their normal life. Yeah. So to me, it was uh, it's just I've never heard that porn was seen as as cheating. So as I'm lurking through the app, I'm like, so I'm I'm trying to decipher what other parents are going through and also what my wife be, may be going through or will be going through so I can prepare myself and intervene as early as 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 possible. And then I'm faced with this conundrum that porn is cheating. I'm like, when did this become a thing? But um, I would say that in, in terms of addiction, right, um, we tend to rationalize what addiction is. My husband is watching porn, is not having sex with me, our sex life is decreasing, and he's watching it every day from my assessment, so therefore it's an addiction. That's actually not true. And addiction is when that is your primary focus and it has created chaos into your professional life and your personal life. So porn addiction is not going to work because you feel the need to watch porn all day, is going to work, but being, be, being in the car for hours just while watching porn because that's your addiction. Choosing to engage in porn 
um, recreationally does not qualify as addiction. And if your partner is experiencing experiencing addiction, one, it's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of them. Right. I think society has created a patriarchal society and framework in which women tend to blame themselves for the behaviors that their male partners tend to engage in. So we need to eradicate that. Um, in, in, in terms of coping, I think that's that's very diff, difficult to do. The best thing is to get them the help as quickly as possible and just continue to be supportive of that. Yeah. So what do you do when a couple comes to you in therapy and say it's my husband and I? Porn's not an issue in our marriage. Just going to throw yeah. that out there. But I'm like, ah, he's watching porn. I'm not OK with it. Mm-hmm. What would you say? Uh, so that was the case. It's about, again, un- understanding your viewpoint as to why porn is an issue for you. Right. It's to be able to link the reasons why it's not an issue. And again, it's it's an issue. And that goes back to your communication skills. Right. Yeah. If you just tell your partner porn is an issue and I don't want you to watch it no more, they're more than likely are not going to comply because they don't understand why or they feel like there's not enough validity in your claims versus, hey, when I was younger, I've experienced a lot of sexual abuse. I know friends of mine that were forced into the porn industry, and it's not a very ethical practice where women are kidnapped, women are forced to, to, to do things that they do not desire. Also, since having your child, my body has changed tremendously. So I feel very insecure in how I look, how I feel about myself and the way that you perceive me. So with all that being said, to me, when you're engaging in leisure activities such as porn, it directly triggers everything within me about my my, my appearance, my self-confidence, my self-esteem, and also my past. As I work to rebuilding myself and heal through what has transpired in my life, I am asking if you could support me in the process by no longer engaging in porn viewing. Mm-hmm. When it's phrased like that and the reasons are provided, emotionally intelligent partner is able to make sense on how you really feel and what's really going on for you. And they're able to tap into that and agree with you. You know what, based on everything that you have said, I can understand why that's an issue for you. I can understand why that's a trigger for you and why do you view my behavior or me watching porn in such a negative light? And I'm yeah. going to change that because one, I'm dead dedicated to this relationship. Two, I want to make you happy. Three, I don't want to do anything that's non-conducive to your mental health. Yeah. Basically, everything comes down to communication. 100 100%. And the thing is we kind of suck as humans at communicating, especially mm-hmm. like, especially the generation, our generation and older, we suck at communicating. And um, we don't have, a lot of us don't have the tools and or are not willing to seek out the tools, right? So why do you think a couple should start counseling right now? What is the top reasons why counseling is important right now, whether you are in a happy or not happy relationship? 
reasons why you should go to couples therapy right now. Number one is learning how to communicate because everything comes down to communication skills and creating that safe space when you and your partner can communicate effectively about every single thing so that everything is on the table. Number two is also a reality check. It helps you understand what's happening within the health of your relationship. Where are your strengths and where are your weaknesses? By session three, I provide my couples with a PDF of exactly what are the strengths in your relationship and what are the weaknesses of your relationship, right? So you have it and you can refer to it and we go through it so you can tell me whether I'm wrong or I'm right. And three, again, it's play offense, don't play defense. Do not Mm -hmm. wait until things are horrible for you to go to couples therapy and try to undo five years of toxic work. When you can go five years earlier, learn what you need to learn, put it into practice so you can ensure that you engage in the conducive behaviors that are beneficial to your relationship. Marriage is very important. Choosing your partner is one of the biggest decisions you're going to make in life, especially for men, right? Men need to understand how beneficial marriage is. Men tend to live four to six years longer. Men tend to have a higher income rate and be more satisfied with their professional life when they are happier in their relationship. Overall, you're less likely to be diagnosed with any mental health or physical health issues. Now, when children become involved, when there's a two-parent household and the father is involved, these children have a higher rate of emotional intelligence, higher IQ, and are five times more successful in life. When there's not a two-parent household, they're more likely to end up in jail. They're more likely to engage in at-risk behaviors or develop a substance use issue. So again, relationships are very, very important. And that's something that we need to invest a lot more into. Yes. And my husband and I always say, like, we always put our marriage and our relationship first because without a strong marriage, without a strong relationship, we would not have a happy family. We would not have a happy home. And that just destroys things for your kids. You know, um, I actually had a TikTok go viral talking about how we always put our marriage first. I got so much hate. Like, why wouldn't you put your kids first? I saw that. that. Uh, You saw that one. (laughs) So, um, okay. Last question, because I'm really curious. Tom and I talked about doing couples therapy and it's really hard. We work. Who does therapy in the evenings or on the weekends? Does anybody like how do we find this resource when it's really difficult because of work and kids? Yeah, um, I I actually most most of my sessions are in the evening hours, actually, because most couples work. Evening hours is is when they are home and have that time period. And I also think that telehealth has definitely helped because one of the biggest barriers to people going to therapy is actually going to therapy, getting in my car, driving there, finding parking or finding public transportation or someone to, to watch the children. Now, therapy can be done at your leisure wherever you are. But I would counsel anyone looking for a couples therapist to also seek someone that has a specialization in couples therapy or their their most of their professional work has been done within the couples work. Right. Because us therapists, like technically, we're able to work with everyone from individual families, couples. But if you're having a specific issue there are specialized therapists for those specific issues that personally I feel are more equipped to address what's happening, 
right? So me, for example, having a specialization in affair recovery, right? I I have a lot more knowledge and I've done um, affair recovery a lot. So, you know, that would would be a better match is going to any individual for affair recovery. Awesome. I love that. Mac, can you tell us where we can find you on social media? If somebody wants to get in touch with you, how can they get hold of you? Yes, um, you can find me on Instagram as talk to Mac underscore therapist. Talk the number two Mac M A C underscore therapist. Also, my website is therapyisforeveryone.org. And if I may do a shameless plug of my clinical card game, which is Please. worth um, years of couples therapy, I actually designed this during the pandemic. I was receiving a lot of mess messages from couples who, for the first time, had to really face each other because they no longer had the escape of going to work. So they're realizing, hey, I actually don't like you or, hey, I actually don't know you. Right. And I just couldn't really treat everyone that needed to be treated. So I chose to create this clinical card game, which is based on the five five themes that most couples tend to argue about. And the purpose of this is to create the conversations that need to take place. On average, couples divorce over the conversations that they should have had, but never had. So this is the answer to it. I love it. Are you going to mail me some or what? (laughs) Of course. This is is not meant to be played with a group of people. This is not meant to be played (laughs) at a barbecue. This is let's do the work. So it's not a drinking game. No, this okay. is, hey, bring out your notebook. I bring out mine. Let's let's pour a glass of wine and let's get to really working on our relationship. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to link all that below and people can buy that, right? Directly from you? Yes. Okay. Directly on the website. I'll make sure to link that. And thank you so much for taking thank the time to talk to us. This was awesome. Wow, that was such an eye-opening, ear-opening episode. Mac did such a good job. He was so fun to talk to. And he's actually offering us a 20% off discount code for his card deck. That's like basically uh, counseling in a card deck. Love that. Thank you, Mac. I will leave all that info below in the notes. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode... Please leave me a review, subscribe, and don't forget to check out Mama Knows Podcast and Balkanina on Instagram. Thank you for listening and let's chat soon. Bye.